electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Last Call. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan. Tonight, a brutal heat wave and wild storms grip the U.S. and they're sending one stock soaring. Is commercial real estate turning a corner? There's sudden hope for the battered industry and opportunity for investors. Ryan Seacrest takes the wheel of fortune. But can the famed game show avoid a messy handover from Pat Sajak? A top industry insider is here. Plus, wait until you hear how much Wall Street interns are raking it in this summer. And a trademark throwdown over Taco Tuesdays. We'll meet the New Jersey restaurant owner taking on Taco Bell. That and much more on Last Call. Good evening. From CNBC Global Headquarters, President Biden has his work cut out for him, trying to convince Americans the economy is on the right path. Tomorrow, he's in Chicago, set to deliver a major economic speech. But the numbers show he has his work cut out for him. A mere 33 percent of Americans approve of President Biden's handling of the economy, according to recent polling from the Associated Press. And only 24 percent say the economy is in good shape. Pretty grim. Here's the thing. A lot of Americans are evidently feeling one way, but in many ways doing the opposite. Consumer confidence just leapt to its highest level in 17 months. Folks are opening their wallets. There is probably no better example of this than travel. People are spending money like there's no tomorrow. Here's Delta CEO Ed Bastian on CNBC earlier today. Whether it's in the U.S., whether it's in Europe, whether it's in Asia, People are wanting to travel and they're prioritizing travel. And as a result, the demand that we're seeing today is even stronger and the the value is even greater than we're seeing. So Delta is boosting its earnings outlook for the year. And that sent Delta and other airline stocks soaring. It's not just happening in the skies. Of course, cruise stocks have been among the top market performers this year amid that industry's comeback. Hotels are practically overrun in popular destinations across the country, and shares of the major brands have been reaping the windfall. Outside of leisure and recreation, the housing market is miraculously showing some strength here despite high mortgage rates. New home sales are up 20 percent, their fastest pace in more than a year. It's not all roses, of course. Inflation, while generally cooling, is still elevated and squeezing many Americans. Today, Walgreens became the latest major retailer to warn about weaker consumer spending, and that delivered a big hit to its stock. It follows some similar sales trends at companies like Target, Walmart, Dollar Tree, and Home Depot. But broadly speaking, things look pretty good despite the gloomy malaise about the economy. So what's behind this disconnect between how many Americans feel versus the way many behave? Let's ask the managing director at Jefferies, David Katz, and chief strategist at 248 Ventures, 
Lindsay Bell, thank you both for joining us tonight. Thank you. Lindsay, let me start with you a little bit. What do you think uh, is behind what we're seeing in this disconnect? Some retailers reporting this pullback among consumer spending and others reporting that things are going gangbusters. Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about the retail sector in general, you've got to have the right merchandise in place to meet the consumer demands and, and you have to meet consumer trends. And there are many companies that aren't able to do that. And of course, you also have the bifurcation between the lower end and the higher end or, or middle consumer as well that you have to take into consideration. And I think what we saw in the first quarter earnings results, why they were somewhat of a disappointment for a lot of these retailers was because the consumer was grappling with, uh, with, with the debt ceiling debate. They were also dealing with the bank banking crisis and the uncertainty related to interest rate moves by the Fed. So there was a lot of uncertainty. Also, weather was very cold. So when you think of a lot of your traditional retailers, seasonality plays a big role. All of that is now in the rearview mirror. We've heard a lot of these retailers talk about how sales trends did turn around in the month of May when warmer weather did return. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next several months. We're coming to to the end of this quarter and the consumer, you know, in in the consumer conference, conference board survey, they are sounding more confident. When you look at sentiment, they're not looking as, as confident. So I, I always say, don't listen to what they say, look at what they do. And they are spending and they are, and retail sales are increasing. You know, David, your expertise is in areas where we've seen a lot of action at cruises, hotels, Six Flags, and especially in casinos, where we keep hearing quarter after quarter of uh, increasing profits, especially when you look, for instance, at the, at the Las Vegas Strip, the casino industry reporting more than two dozen months of increasing gross gaming revenue across the nation. But there's the sense that investors are waiting for another shoe to drop for the consumers to really pull back in this area. What are you hearing? Yeah, and I, I, I've heard all of your opening and uh, Lindsay's commentary, and you're right. The profits have been epic. Uh, balance sheets are unprecedentedly strong. But what we've been seeing over the past couple of months and what we heard company management teams talk about at the Jeffries Consumer Conference last week in Nantucket uh, is that uh, in April and May, we have st- started to see some numbers come across on the top line a little bit weaker. And for example, I point to the regional casino business where we had several management teams uh, talk about some states that are down. Uh, And if you look at, uh, call it six out of seven representative states that we'd pull, uh, their revenues were actually down a little bit in April and May. Uh, Similarly, if you look at hotels, uh, we see areas that are leisure heavy. Uh, The leisure resorts in the luxury segment Uh, We published some REVPAR numbers, revenue per available room numbers that were down this week. And we also see in the uh, leisure heavy economy and limited service segment where REVPAR is down uh, for the past couple of months. So it's not all rosy on the top line. Okay, so when you're looking at the, the hits that are starting to the cracks in the foundation of even luxury, do you anticipate, David, that you might start to see more of that throughout the summertime that maybe... Everybody has spent what they've saved up during the pandemic. They've made their big bets on Taylor Swift tickets and and trips to Las Vegas. And now is the time that you're going to start to see a pullback? I don't know. And and, and that is the candid truth, Contessa. This has been one of the most intellectually confusing periods 
that I can recall and, and many of our clients and many of the companies where uh, numbers have been epically strong, uh, as you point out, uh, but we've been waiting for this recession to show up in experiential leisure in the back half of this year. So I would say that the next uh, 2Q reporting, 3Q reporting, those are critical periods where we're going to be scrutinizing very heavily what those numbers are, both in terms of demand and pricing. You know, it's interesting because I just saw in a recent note, Lindsay, uh, this era described as a cost of living crisis. And I thought that was really insightful that for a lot of people, the rising gas prices, rising cost of shelter, rising, even even if it's beginning to moderate, the, the hit has already been taken to family pocketbooks. What are you seeing in terms of if gas prices have moderated a bit, if inflation is starting to cool off, that there also could be a turnaround for even those who are feeling that pinch in ways that maybe well-off families are not? Yeah, no, I think you put it very well. Um, inflation really does hurt the lower end consumer, and we've seen that over the course of the last year especially. So it is a great thing that inflation rates are coming down, but they're still going up on a year-over-year basis for most categories. Um, and so that is still impacting many consumers across the board, uh, especially when you're going to the grocery store. And like you said, it's just many necessities that the costs have gone up for. So we'd like to see that number come down. Now, offsetting that, though, I will say is, is the price of gasoline has, is down almost 30% on a year-over-year basis. It's been like that for a couple months now. And that is also an important uh, factor to consider when you're thinking about the health of the consumer. I'd also say you see a lot of people talk about the rise in credit usage by the consumer, and that certainly has been ongoing. But what I would say to that also is, is that the percent of outstanding credit as a percent of disposable income is still at very responsible levels. We're, we're, we are approaching levels that are pre at pre-pandemic rates. Um, and so we want to keep an eye on that to make sure that they don't extend much further than that. Um, but overall, the, the health of the consumer is, is, is still resilient, in my opinion. And I think the consumer is very become much more aware of their financial situation over the course of the pandemic. And they've worked very hard to write their, their own balance sheets. And I think they want to do the best they can to maintain that, that better financial position moving forward. That being said, inflation, of course, we want to see that come down much more quickly to help them maintain where they are currently. Well, that, um, so it's something that we've got definitely have to keep an eye on. That optimistic consumer is probably the one that President Biden is hoping hears his message tomorrow night. <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so much. David, great to see you. Thank you. Meantime, here's what happened to your money today. The Dow gained 0.63%, breaking a six-day losing streak. The S&P 500 gained more than 1%. It's on pace for its best month since January, and the NASDAQ composite closed up more than a, a percent and a half higher. Carnival was the biggest winner of the day, as we mentioned, climbing nearly 9%, and the biggest loser, Walgreens, falling more than 9%. People aren't getting as sick as they were last year, so sales and medicines of other remedies, they're just down. So it's good for our immune system, but bad for the stock. Let's also take a look at futures here and see how things are shaping up for tomorrow. Look at Red across the board, but the Dow is just barely so. Basically flat at this point. In the meantime, here's what's next on Last Call. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu on his bid to legalize cannabis and what it could mean for the state's bottom line as temperatures soar.
One company's stock is heating up. The CEO will join us. Plus, the Wall Street firm paying their interns a whopping $120 an hour. And the end of an era and the start of a new. Why Wheel of Fortune might be the most valuable property in all of television. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... <laughs> 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Time for tomorrow's news tonight. The stories you'll be talking about tomorrow morning. First up, the Biden administration is considering new curbs on AI chip exports to China, according to The Wall Street Journal. The move could reportedly come as early as next month, and it would prevent AI chip shipments to Chinese customers if they haven't first obtained a special license. Shares of NVIDIA and AMD are in the red after hours. And next up, the upper Midwest dealing with intense smoke from ongoing Canadian wildfires. The air quality is so bad, cities like Chicago and Milwaukee are being classified as having the worst air in the world. The eerie haze is forecast to linger in the region tomorrow, but should see some improvement overnight. And unfortunately, here I am the bearer of bad news. The smoke is expected to hit the New York City area again tomorrow. Well, from unrelenting smoke to unrelenting heat, the South is facing brutal temperatures for the second week in a row, and that's putting major pressure on the region's power grids. The record heat is expected to spread and intensify through the holiday weekend. But one company's stock is sizzling as a result of the intense weather. It's Generac Holdings, the maker of backup power generators being used in Texas and, of course, all around the nation. Its shares hit a four-month high last week when a Texas grid operator warned residents to conserve energy in case of a blackout. And a short time ago, power use in Texas hit a record high, according to the state's power grid operator. Generac stock leapt almost 9% today and is up 24% this past month. Generac CEO Aaron Yagdal joins me now. Aaron, good to talk to you. I, I read something interesting about the way that your Generac customers in Texas are actually helping prop up the grid. Can you explain it? Yeah, that's uh, that's right, Contessa. Thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, I think Texas grid operators are obviously dealing with a pretty extreme situation, and they've had to deal with a number of these extreme situations over the last few years, including a heat wave last summer, and then obviously the uh, winter weather they had in February of 2021. But they're really resorting to using uh, products like generators, our smart thermostats, batteries. They're calling those products into service effectively in different ways to help stabilize the grid and kind of offset some of the challenges they're having in terms of keeping supply and demand in check. 
Is there a way that they can actually give back power from the generators, you know, in the ways that, I don't know, you, I, I know people who've had solar panels installed and, and when, they, when it's needed, their solar power from their panels goes back into the grid. Yeah, with our solar products and our battery products, that's the case. With our generators, the generators typically what they'll do is they'll take the home or the business off the grid. So they'll reduce the demand side and then they'll, they'll do that because they know that that dwelling or that building has a generator and it can allow them to safely disconnect without, uh, without any kind of hazard. We have had a decade of incredibly severe, really surprising weather. So, I mean, you mentioned the winter storm in Texas that did so much damage. Hail is causing problems and insured losses are increasing all across the nation from hail and convective storms, not necessarily tornadoes, but thunderstorms that have a lot of convection with them. Do you believe that Generac still has a lot of room to run? I mean, there's been so much attention paid to getting generators when there's a massive blizzard. Do you think people who are in the market for them have bought them? Well, you know, we're about 6% penetrated with our residential products um, permanently installed. So there's you know, 94% of homes that don't have the product yet. And I would argue, as, as most people have, is that you know, we're ever dependent on a continuous source of power today in our everyday lives, right? So everything we do in our homes, frankly, everything we do in business today uh, is dependent on a, you know, a dependable source of power. And that's really only intensified here, right? In, in particular, as we race to electrify everything in our lives. So cleaning, cooking, heating, cooling, transportation, right? So we're just getting into the early innings of the electric vehicle adoption. And so as that continues to grow, you can imagine just, you know, if you have an outage, and outages do happen on a large scale, obviously hurricanes, ice storms, these things have happened for a long time, but we're now seeing stresses on the grid that we haven't seen in the past. So, you know, extreme weather like heat waves, these cold snaps, uh, different types of extreme weather events that are causing unique stresses on the grid that, you know, we're trying to balance intermittent sources like solar and wind on the one side, and we're, we're balancing this increasing demand on the other side. And that's creating outages. And there's no denying that. The outages are lasting longer. They're occurring more frequently. And, and frankly, you know, people are taking the matter into their own hands and they're buying products like generators, like batteries and things to, uh, to mitigate that risk. Is there any um, link, is there any correlation when people are going into Home Depot or Lowe's, for instance, and buying a lot of home improvement products that Generac will get a boost? Do you see any sort of relation in the way that your stock trades to those home improvement stocks? I mean, certainly if you're doing a large project, right, and, you're, and it, it involves the electrical components in your home, people do take that opportunity to add a generator if they're mm -hmm. thinking about it. But oftentimes, I mean, our, our products are, you know, a, a product of people experiencing outages or a deep fear of outages. So they oftentimes only get involved with the category after they've experienced an outage or a second time or even a third time. Everybody's got their own kind of tipping point, as it were, in terms of what triggers them to invest in the category, but we have seen a marked increase in interest, not only in the recent weeks here with the outage activity down in, in, in that part of the country, but also just over the last decade. Um, you know, again, this is a this is an area of growth and it's something that as we look at what the power grid is gonna go through in terms of this larger transformation over the next decade, uh, we just think that, you know, this is the kind of category that people are gonna turn to. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Contessa. Still ahead, surprise signs of life for a beaten down commercial real estate is the worst over. One of the industry's top CEOs joins us next.
Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. Commercial real estate is enjoying a moment in the sun after falling out of favor in the work-from-home surge. Shares of real estate investment trusts, or REITs, roaring back to life over the past two days, triggering optimism that all those empty office buildings are actually valuable. Earlier today, billionaire investor and Baupost Group CEO Seth Claren joined CNBC's Squawk Box in a rare, exclusive interview. Here's what he said. The fundamental challenges have caused um, urgent selling. You can see a pullback in lending. You can see vacancies in office, troubles in retail for years and years. And so that doesn't automatically makes it interest, make it interesting, but it may mean that as other people abandon it, as other people face urgent pressure, there may be opportunities to buy, to inject capital, to make some rescue loans. So is commercial real estate's long national nightmare over? Joining me now, the Howard Hughes Corporation CEO, David O'Reilly. Howard Hughes owns and manages properties in a number of markets around the country, including Texas, Nevada, New York, and Maryland. And as I understand it, David, you oversee some 9 million square feet of office and retail space. Do you think the tide has turned when it looks when we're looking at office space and how valuable it is? Oh, I, I look, it, it's, it's tough to disagree with somebody like Seth Klarman uh, in given his track record and, and expertise. Uh, but I would say that the fundamentals in retail and office have remained strong. Sure, there are some weaker B office buildings that return to office has taken a toll on. Uh, but our office buildings remain full. And retail results over the past several years, not just for Howard Hughes, but for the industry as a whole, have been tremendous. We've seen occupancy levels at or above pre-pandemic levels. We've seen rent growth at a four-plus percent compound annual growth rate. And same-store results for the entire public sector have been incredibly strong for the past 12 quarters. Okay, but Howard Hughes, I mean, your, your specialty and the thing that you may be best known for is these mixed-use uh, projects where you've got office space and not too far away, retail space and entertainment space. You just showed me around out in Summerlin, uh, Nevada, outside of Las Vegas, some of this, the reason why that's so attractive for so many office workers and residents. But do you think that's the case in a place like New York City, where you can still go through office after office and see vacant commercial space. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, there are some weakest office office buildings that probably shouldn't be office buildings and won't be office buildings for long. But there's some great space, space on Park Avenue, on, on easy commutes to Grand Central that are going to be fine. And I think the market over the past couple of days and seeing how the public rates have traded that you put up on the screen really demonstrates that they're starting to realize that there is a difference between the haves and the have-nots. How much and of companies the, like Crystal Green have, have the haves, in my opinion. How much do you think, uh, David, that the, the concern over where commercial real estate is going came from whether people would return to the office? And how much of it is coming because interest rates are higher and those um, 
mortgage holders who may have to pay adjustable rates are quaking in their boots. Look, I, I think that the fundamentals are strong. As I said, I'm worried about the lending market and the capital market impact on commercial real estate. Higher interest rates, greater reserve requirements from the big banks, regional banks that are largely out of the market of lending in, in commercial real estate means that only the most well-capitalized, strongest borrowers are going to have access to loans. And those loans are going to have proceeds that are much lower given those higher interest rates and potentially higher operating costs that are impacting debt service coverage ratios. I think the mom and pop that may own the one-off office building or the one-off multifamily building are going to have a very challenging time refinancing those loans. And I think Seth's point was that his opportunity in lending in the commercial real estate market um, in a distressed situation like I just described could be a great opportunity for some. And, and I think that that a lot of folks with capital on the sidelines are looking at that as the opportunity. Yeah. And another price pressure here on some commercial developers has been the cost of property insurance. You know, I talked to a guy who's got a hundred million dollar property down in South Texas and his insurance costs went from a million dollars a year to three million dollars a year. And there's just no cash flow for that. In New York City, there may be another concern because New York City just got federal clearance for its congestion pricing plan. Uh, and this is a, a proposal that would actually have new rules charging up to $23 per car to enter Manhattan below 60th Street. Taking into account workdays, that could cost nearly $6,000 a year. You have a beautiful project on the very southern tip of Manhattan, far below 60th Street. Are you concerned that a policy like this makes it more difficult and adds another impediment to filling the restaurants and the entertainment venues for you at the tin building down in the seaport? Oh, we haven't had any problem filling our venue. And you know, as a local resident, you've probably seen firsthand that our foot traffic has never been higher in the seaport district. And the majority of those that come to visit us there are local New Yorkers, as well as the tourism industry that's come roaring back in New York City. And, and those are folks that aren't paying you know, tolls of commuting in below 60th Street. I think this is going to put a little bit more pressure on return to office, and it's going to make it, it's always been expensive to drive a car and commute into New York City. I mean, parking costs are astronomical. They always have been. And this is just going to make it that much more expensive and hopefully get more folks to use mass transit and reduce congestion. Um, Do you think you know, it'll it, work? I mean, yeah. you spent a lot of time thinking about urban planning. Do you think this mm -hmm. will work? Look, I think that somebody who's paying, you know, however many hundreds of dollars to rent a parking space, this is just another add on to what they already pay. And someone who can't afford that and takes public transit will continue to take public transit. David O'Reilly, great to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Contessa. Still ahead. Is the state of New Hampshire moving closer to legalizing pot? We'll talk to the governor about a key development that's just happened right after this break. Welcome back. Time for Last Call Watch List and some stocks catching our attention tonight. First up, Apple hit a new all-time high today, joining Tech's rally. Now, this is Apple's fifth record high so far this year. It's gained about 50%. Apple is just a hair away from a $3 trillion market cap. The magic number would be $190.73 a share. 
Also on our list, major broadband providers. President Biden has a new $42 billion plan to expand high-speed Internet. He wants universal Internet access in the U.S. within seven years. This is fueling a rally for broadband providers like Charter, Spectrum, AT&T, Verizon, and of course, Comcast, our parent company. And you can see how those shares have reacted. Next up, Roku, the streamer, has just inked its first live sports deal. It's for Formula E racing. That's the electric vehicle version of Formula One auto racing. Roku will air 11 races in the upcoming season. And the best news for fans, those races will be free to watch, provided they're Roku users. Roku's stock ended up the day modestly, just about a percent higher. Finally, we look at Costco. It is cracking down on visitors, trying to shop with other people's membership cards. It's seen an increase in card sharing abuse since an expansion of self-checkout in its stores. Well, as a result, self-checkout users may be asked to show a member ID with their photo. Perhaps this is just taking a cue from Netflix's password sharing crackdown. Costco memberships start at 60 bucks a year. Its share price up one and a third. New Hampshire is moving a step closer to legalizing marijuana. State lawmakers agreed to study a new plan for selling recreational pot, kind of the way they sell alcohol in state liquor stores. For more on this, let's bring in the man who proposed it, the Republican governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, who joins us on the phone tonight. Governor, good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. What's the advantage to selling marijuana like you sell liquor in New Hampshire at these at these state facilities? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that in, in play here. First, this this is not I, I've never been a big believer in terms of, of uh, uh, legalizing recreational marijuana. But the legislature is there. It's a, we're surrounded by, I think, a thousand miles by states who have done it. Uh, not only would the bill pass to let it happen, it would probably pass with the ability to override my veto. So while even though I might not like it, my responsibility is to set up a model that long term uh, is better than all the other states around us, that, that has the protections. And, and to your question, um, we have this liquor store model here where we control the retail, we control the locations, we control the marketing, we control the branding. And when you're talking about marijuana, you want to keep it away from kids. You want to make it accessible for adults but you want to make sure it's not near schools. You want to make sure you don't have these marijuana miles, right, where you have like a pot shop on every corner like you see in some of these states. With us controlling the retail and the marketing and the branding side, we would, we would be able to control all that. And we do it really well. We're, our, our New Hampshire liquor stores are ranked one of the top five retailers in the country. So we have a model that works. Other states don't really have that. And so we can build off of that to provide the protections that we want in something that um, that really needs protections, right? You're still dealing with a, a, a regulated drug and all of that. But knowing it's going to happen, we just got to design the best system uh, for the long term. The Senate rejected a proposal in May on legalizing marijuana. How likely do you think it is that the legislature comes back around and passes a proposal in the, in the, in the vein of what you're proposing? So I, I think it's fairly likely in that I've, I've told them, you've got to stay re- in these very tight guidelines. I'm not signing any bill. I'm only going to sign the bill that provides the protections I want to mm-hmm. see. Because if you do it wrong, with all due respect to my fellow neighbors, you end up like Maine or Massachusetts or Vermont, who have really not done it well. 
They did it for the money. We're not doing it for the money. We're doing it because, A, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So let's provide it with protection. There'll be some revenue from it. But that, you should never be legalizing more drugs for revenue. That, that has ethical and moral problems uh, wrapped all around it. Other states did that. We're not going down that path. Governor, so I, wa- I, think, I think if they can do it, uh, we can get it done. I, wanna, I wanted to ask you, the big news coming out of your state today is about the former president, Donald Trump, uh, at, at a women's luncheon and then the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, at a town hall meeting. I, I'm just curious about, I mean, you've been very outspoken about not believing that Trump should be the next Republican nominee or another president. Where do you come down on Ron DeSantis? And, and would, that, would either one of those men be your choice for Republican nominee? Yeah, so look, we, I think uh, um, Nikki Haley was here today. Uh, DeSantis was here. I think there were a couple other. Uh, just another day in New Hampshire when you have all the presidential candidates lining up. So we're just getting started. And that's kind of the message I, I, I kind of put out to everyone. We're still two months away from the first debate. Never mind the other five, six, ten debates that will happen after that. You're going to have candidates surge. You're going to have candidates absolutely fall apart. You're going to have new candidates show you something kind of special. So I think there's a huge opportunity both here in New Hampshire and in Iowa, to do the retail politics, to prove that retail politics can turn into retail management, not to get on the stump and give a speech. Anyone can do that. you got to come to New Hampshire and listen. you got to let the voters ask you anything they want in their living rooms, on the front steps of, uh, of, of the coffee shop, whatever it might be. you got to engage. And if you don't, you're going to get wiped right out of here. So um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Obviously, uh, former President Trump is leading the charge right now. He's got the name ID and all that, but a lot of candidates are surging forward. When it comes to former President Trump, my message is very simple. Thank you for your service. We're moving on. We can't be a country that goes backwards. The best opportunity of tomorrow's leadership isn't yesterday's leadership, right? So well, there's just new ideas, there's new faces. That's what yeah. America is about, innovation ideas and, and bringing uh, a new opportunity to bear. And I think New Hampshire will be the kind of a front runner for the first in the nation primary to allow that yeah. to happen. It usually is. Governor Chris Sununu, thank you. Thank you. Coming up, it is a new era on Wheel of Fortune. What Ryan Seacrest is saying about replacing the legendary Pat Sajak. Next. Welcome back. Wheel of Fortune is getting a new host and Ryan Seacrest is getting another job. Sony Pictures Television announced today Seacrest will start selling the vowels on the long-running game show beginning in 2024. Of course, he's best known as the longtime host of American Idol, as well as his nationally syndicated radio show. He'll take the reins from Pat Sajak, who has hosted Wheel of Fortune for the past 42 years alongside co-host Vanna White. White, meanwhile, reportedly is negotiating a new contract. And here's the report that she hasn't received a pay increase in 18 years. Joining me now, somebody who's been following this story very closely, Puck News founding partner, Matt Bellany. Matt, good to talk to you. Thanks. Where's the statement from Vanna White about how she feels about (laughs) Ryan Seacrest taking over for Pat Sajak? Well, I think Sony would have loved to include one in the statement today, but they couldn't because they're still negotiating with Vanna White. And from what I'm told, Sony has offered an increase from the $3 million a year that she makes for the syndicated show, but it's not nearly enough. And she's hired a pretty aggressive lawyer to try to bring her more in line. They're not arguing she should be paid the same as Pat Sajak was making. That would be about five times more 
than what Vanna currently makes. But they want to bring her up to around 70 percent of what Pat is making. And so far, there's no deal. But okay, so let me get this straight. Here's Vanna White, who's been doing this show for as long as Pat Sajak, right? She's 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 been there from the beginning with him. Mm -hmm. She has. And and you have Ryan Seacrest, who's a highly compensated, well-known personality with a lot of jobs coming into the table. But, but he's going to be brand new. So here you've got Vanna White wondering what is she going to still make a measly three million compared to what Ryan Seacrest makes. Well, you should be arguing for Vanna White right now because that's what they're saying. She is a measure of consistency amid change. And in the game show world, you want consistency. People like to know when they tune in every night at the same time, they're going to see the same game and the same people. You shake that up. And this is a very lucrative franchise. This brings in well over $100 million a year for syndication alone. And, you know, that is something you do not want to upset that Apple card. And for someone like Sony, they've got to think about Vanna because there has been discussion in the past about replacing or even eliminating the Vanna role. She is the co-host. She is not the host. The host does the hosting and she does what she does. But in the eyes of the viewers, she is an integral part of this show. And in Hollywood, that's what you value, what the audience wants. What do you think of Ryan Seacrest as the host? Like, was this completely safe choice? It is a safe choice. It's something that, you know, people had discussed even before Pat Sajak announced that he was retiring, that he might make a good person to come in here. He just left his job with the Kelly and Ryan show and he moved back to L.A., um, it is a job you can do with other jobs like American Idol because the wheel schedule is pretty lax. You only work like six weeks a year at the very most uh, to tape all those shows. <laughs> and, you know, he's he's 48. He could conceivably do this job for another 25 years. And again, it's just safety. They know after the debauched or sorry, after the botched Jeopardy transition after Alex Trebek died. Um, they don't want that again. They don't want to they don't want to do a bake off. They don't want the producer putting himself in there. They want right. a very smooth transition. A debauched Jeopardy would be worth <laughs> watching. Sorry about I think. that. Yeah, no, exactly. Matt, nice to talk to you. Thank you. No problem. From highly paid TV host to highly paid interns. Check out what America's highest paid interns are pulling in this summer. Some of the company names, you know, some maybe you don't. Company DeShaw is offering a whopping $115 an hour plus a $20,000 sign-on bonus. Five Rings, Citadel Security, Citadel, and Jane Street all offering internships starting at $120 an hour plus five-figure signing bonuses. And taking the number two spot is a company called Vatic Investments, paying out $150 an hour. Last but not least, the top spot, Radix Trading also shelling out 150 cool ones per hour with an additional $25,000 sign-on bonus. Well, how do you get one of those jobs? Joining me now is Zahir Mohadeen. He's the co-founder of Levels FYI, an online job tracking firm. All right, Zahir, first of all, how, how much competition is there for an internship that pays you that kind of money? <laughs> There's a ton. Um, I mean, less than 0.1% of people will get these internships. Um, Citadel just uh, announced or mentioned that they had 69,000 people apply for their internships. And typically, no more than a few dozen people will actually get accepted. 
Uh, and so it, it's very, very, very few. And, and the signing bonuses, is that just for coming on as an intern or is that if you stay on as an employee? That is just for the internship. Now, there's a separate package or offer that you'll get when, when, you'll, when you're extended a full-time offer. Uh, many of the folks that do intern will end up getting full-time offers. And so, you know, often what we see is over 50% or so of interns will actually end up getting full-time offers. If you're paying... 110, 120, 150 bucks an hour. I presume these interns are not getting coffee. <laughs> they're getting free food. Oftentimes they're getting, uh, you know, they're getting uh, in some cases even free housing. Uh, they get lots of benefits and uh, it varies from company to company. It just depends on the culture and style of the company. Why do they have to pay? I mean, these, these jobs are going to be very lucrative. Why do they have to pay the interns at all? Well, the, the competition for this, uh, for this pool of talent is extremely fierce. Um, you know, it, it, already the market has been growing. Um, High-frequency trading firms, quant firms, uh, it, these companies have been hiring more and more folks, and there's yeah. been new firms in the space. There's more people uh, hiring this pool of talent. On top of that, AI is uh, now you know, heating up. And so the same t pool of people, these math, uh, mathematics degrees, yeah. computer science degrees, uh, many of those folks are now going to AI firms. And so, you know, it's getting harder and harder to hire that uh, key pool of talent. Well, I think uh, let this be a lesson to all those in college still. Maybe journalism is not the path of the future. So here, <laughs> thank you. Thank Coming you. up, a David versus Goliath battle over tacos. A small New Jersey restaurant takes on Taco Bell over Taco Tuesdays. The owner joins us on this epic night about an epic trademark fight. Welcome back. The fight for Taco Tuesday rights is getting rather messy. The phrase Taco Tuesday is trademarked, you see, but Taco Bell has filed a petition with the U.S. Patent Office to undo that. The fast food chain is so serious about the matter, it even enlisted LeBron James to help put a spotlight on its cause. How can someone own Taco Come on, man. Everyone should be able to say and celebrate Taco 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 What are we doing? Thankfully, someone is doing something about it. No more trademark, no more bleeping, starting right now. Taco Bell really did start a petition so that businesses can use the term legally. And popular food chain Taco John owns the trademark in 49 states. Gregory's Restaurant and Bar owns it in New Jersey and has since 1982. Joining me for more on the battle for Taco Tuesday, the co-owner of Gregory's, Greg Gregory. That's a uh, lot of Gregory. Yeah, I, I like it. Gregory, Gregory. I like it. Okay. Well, my parents thought I was going to be a slow learner. Well, <laughs> at least you could spell it. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Exactly. Taco Bell says that trademarking Taco Tuesdays is not cool. Greg, are you cool? Well, I, I tell you what, I was pretty cool with it in 1979 when we started Taco Tuesday. And then in 82, my college professor from public speaking said, I, you have to get this trademark. He did all the legwork. I wrote a check. We got our service mark in 1982. Nobody bothered about it. Nobody cared. It was no big deal. And since then, we've sold over 2 million tacos on Taco Tuesday. 
And as a matter of fact, tonight's Taco Tuesday, and all 11 TVs are turned on to CNBC as we speak. Well, well, hello, everybody sitting at uh, Greg's. I appreciate that you're there. Here's my question. Why is it important to you? I mean, Taco Bell says, look, this is a generally commonly used phrase. And in fact, I was on Twitter tonight looking at Ryan Seacrest, who's the new host of Wheel of Fortune, and right down in his feed, it's hashtag Taco Tuesday, hashtag Taco Tuesday. Everybody says it. Why do you care about your trademark? Well, because it's it's mine. Uh, we, our family trademarked in 1982, and that Tuesday night has been such a busy night for us that we actually, as a small business, we decided our payday would be Wednesday. So, in fact, we'd get the income from our Taco Tuesday, which is a busy night. In the early 80s, when they were building the casinos in Atlantic City, most of the people that worked around our area in South Jersey finally got decent jobs, and there would be a line on Tuesday night, two people in, two people out. Taco Bell wrote, enforcing trademarks violates an American ideal, the pursuit of happiness. I'm just curious if you've thought about testing them about how much they really embrace this and, I don't know, put a crunch wrap supreme on your menu, see what they do. Well, you know, we're just, we're just happy to be here. And, and my family's been at that bar for, since 1946. My grandson's in there busting tables tonight, so he's the fifth generation. And Taco Tuesday, in our area, we never had to uh, prosecute anybody. If anybody used Taco Tuesday in an ad, I'd call them up and say, you know, I'm allowed triple damages. How about if you uh, just stop doing it? And they did. And, and you know, South Jersey's different than a lot of other areas. And so so friendly. As far as, yes. as far as Taco Bell, you know, they're, they're making their step. They're making their thing. We'll see what they have to say. What, one more quick question, because you have a legacy to leave to your grandson. How much would you take for the trademark? Oh, geez. Well, you know what? I was thinking maybe we get LeBron James down to swing some time <laughs> for a couple of days. You just I, put I, it I in always front. have room in the kitchen for another guy. All right. I like it. Greg Gregory, good luck to you. Can't wait for one of your tacos. Oh, you And that, you my bet. friends, is Thank a messy you, way to end. Last call for tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.